This is Roy's Rocket Radio, recorded on Sunday the 20th of April 2014, and this is episode 37. And we're recording at 7 minutes to 3 in the afternoon. So, hello again. It seems like it's been a while, but, but it's only been a week. So, here I am again sitting on my cheap IKEA swivel chair with a poisonously black cup of coffee, which is rather nice. And we've got another podcast. So this week we'll be talking about Doctor Who and the Aztecs in a bit, and Game of Thrones. So first off, oh, this chair really is... You know, I've got one of those really cheap, the, the cheapest IKEA swivel chair you can get. They're a bit of a cult item now, but and it's an older one, so it's more solid and less prone to splitting. And believe me, if it was going to split, it would have split by now with my not inconsiderable bulk sitting over it. But it's okay, it's pretty solid. The only thing is, I think I might have spun it around a few times because I feel a lot shorter than usual. Either that, or I'm losing weight vertically on my diet. And, okay, on with the news. So, uh, yeah, I've been dieting for about a week. I feel less weird and sleepy than I did when I podcasted last week. And I suppose what's happening is my body's getting used to using less calories. And uh, but, but the major problem with dieting is trying to write or watching TV, and both of these activities seem designed to specifically make you extremely hungry. Also, not getting a balanced diet is a problem when you're trying to control your calories as I am, and it's about time too. So I am chucking down uh, a boatload of vegetables and the odd piece of fruit and taking a daily multivit. And by vegetables, I mean the horrible green stuff that doesn't have any calories but has a lot of vitamins rather than the tasty potatoes and root vegetables. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I've stuck with it. I've ha- had a few lapses, but... Because I'm controlling the calories I eat daily, if I have a lapse on one day, I can make up for it on the other day. It's just a bit difficult. I mean, for example, like, so I'm trying to bookkeep my calories. So there are opportunities for the odd insanely unhealthy indulgence, like today with my big Easter egg. All I've done is made sure that my caloric intake... Uh, ranges from slightly less to a lot less for the days before and after the day of indulgence. That sounds good, doesn't it? The day of indulgence. Uh, Okay. So, um, and we're going to finish with dieting now because it's getting a bit boring, but I would like to say that... um, That what I'm talking about, my own personal diet, is not dieting advice. It's just what works for me. What works for you will almost certainly be very different. 
and see your doctor first, especially if you've got any other health problems or any under underlying problems that you can think of. In fact, just see your doctor anyway, and don't take it as read that I know what I'm doing, because I really don't. Okay, next, on to what I'm reading at the moment, and I'm currently reading, I tweeted the cover of the book, Austin Grossman's new book called You. I'm halfway through, and I'll report back when I'm finished. Austin Grossman, you may know, or may remember, or may have heard of, he is one half of the talented Grossman brothers. He is the brother of Lev Grossman. Austin has also written the immensely enjoyable Soon I Will Be Invincible. And his brother-in-law... Oh, sorry, brother-in-law. His brother. Sorry, Austin, your brother. <laughs> Lev has written the brilliant Magician books, which I'm a very big fan of. I've put a link in my show notes if you want to read a bit more about the Grossman's, the Grossman brothers. So just go to RoyMatur.com, R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com, and click on blog and search for Grossman, or just go in the show notes and click on the link there. Or copy and paste the link there. Sorry, it's a text file, so you can't just click on it. Actually, on, on that note, his brother Lev is writing the final book of the Magician's Trilogy, The Magician's Land, and I can see on Amazon that it's out soon, and I am really looking forward to that. Okay, so that's it for news this week, and that's good. We've only spent five minutes, so hopefully you haven't got bored, and we're straight on to the main topic of today's show, which is our continuing Doctor Who marathon. And today we're with the first Doctor, and we're in series one, and it's the sixth story or adventure entitled The Aztecs. This is a four-part adventure that was broadcast from May the 23rd to June the 13th in 1964. The writer this uh, time is John Laccarotti, who we've chatted about before. He seems to have found his who niche with these historical drama uh, episodes. He wrote the Marco Polo episode that we talked about a while back. I mentioned in the Marco Polo uh, corresponding podcast that Lacarotti wrote the original script for The Ark in Space, which is one of my favourite of the Doctor Who adventures, but did not rewrite nor receive any credit for it. However, as I found out from the online dedicated Doctor Who wiki, the reason for this is, and I quote here, he was living on a boat in Corsica at the time. <laughs> nice. So he wasn't quite as hard done by as I thought. Yeah, that's something I'd like to be doing, living on a boat and writing. Somewhere hot, hopefully. Yeah, like Corsica, in fact. And uh, if you want that link, just go in the show notes and you'll find it. The director of this episode is John Crockett, a person I haven't heard of before, and the producer, as usual, is Verity Lambert. 
Sue, all right, uh, cast, let's see. Okay, yeah, well, the cast is as usual. Sorry, I paused there for a minute. I was staring at my phone, wondering whether this was recording. But, yeah, the time is ticking away, so it is recording nicely, I hope. And I don't sound too horrible. So, the cast is William Hartnell as the Doctor, Caroline Ford as Susan Foreman, Jacqueline Hill as Barbara Wright, and William Russell as Ian Chesterton. In this episode, we also have Margot Vanderberg as Kamika, the Doctor's love interest no less in this episode. Oh, sorry, in this adventure. And she has a further history on Doctor Who as she went on to play Katura in the Tom Baker story, The Keeper of Tracken. So... The team arrive in 16th century Mexico before the arrival of the conquistadors, i.e. Cortes, and at the pinnacle of the Aztec Empire and the Aztec culture. The TARDIS arrives in a tomb, and when the team go out to explore, they are separated from the TARDIS, which is trapped. Barbara finds a bracelet that's on an Aztec mummy and tries it on and then she is suddenly discovered by uh, the Aztecs who assume because of the bracelet that she is the reincarnation of a venerated high priest called Yataxa. With her new position of power, she tries to discourage the Aztecs' religious practice of human sacrifice and finds an ally in important officials, Ortlock, who favours knowledge and is a fairly all-round nice guy, and the terrifying <laughs> Zatoxil, who favours blood sacrifice. Very frightening-looking guy, and he's always leering at people, and he's got this stripe across his mouth that makes him look even more fierce. You know, I remember the stripe across the mouse mouth. Sorry, from something else. Wasn't oh, I don't know how you pronounce this. I used to pronounce the character Slain, but Slain, the character, the Celtic character in 2000 AD, didn't he have a girlfriend that also had like the stripe across her mouth and it made her, it did make her look extra fierce. Maybe they got the idea from this Doctor Who episode or maybe it's some cultural parallel with Celtic culture, who knows. But that just struck me and it was very effective. He, he is quite scary. So there are these two Aztec officials that Barbara is trying to influence to change the culture. And what happens? Well, as usual, the team become completely and utterly entangled in political machinations, very like what happens with Marco Polo. And Barbara being a bit of a do-gooder, which is fair enough, I mean, I, I, she does try her best, but the doctor warns her, having had experience of uh, alien cultures 
um, the old Earth culture, he warns Barbara not to expect to change the entire culture. And, of course, he is eventually proven right. But Barbara is later comforted, quite unusually, by the Doctor, who tells her that though she didn't manage to change the culture in its entirety, which would have been too large a task for any one person, she did manage to convince one man to change. Ortlock, in fact, the, the good Aztec guy. So that's a brief synopsis of the story. My view is that it was, thankfully, a lot briefer than Marco Polo at four episodes. It is also very dramatic and full of tension. The costumes were splendid, particularly that of Barbara, who looked very regal. Oh, and another thing is that the Doctor finds a girlfriend, who I mentioned before, Kamika, played by, let's see, I mentioned her again, just turning over, Margot van der Berg. And all I have to say is, this is a new side to the Doctor, something we haven't seen before. And my, does the old boy seem to work his Gallifreyan magic fast. I, I Yeah, but it was pretty surprising seeing that. It wasn't something I was expecting. Later on, it turns out in the episode that that there's this cocoa ceremony where they both, uh, well, the doctor makes them a drink of cocoa, which and cocoa chocolate uh, was an important part of South American culture and ceremony. It's a very tasty drink, and when he makes the, these two cups of cocoa, they drink it together, and it turns out that the doctor is now betrothed to Kamika. For a while, he, for an instant, he seems a little shocked and taken aback, but then he seems to settle into it, and he seems to quite like the idea. So I'm really enjoying seeing this side of the Doctor. This adventure particularly reminded me stylistically of the old Brit comic strip called The Trigon Empire. Do you remember that? If you want to read a bit more about that, I've put a link into my blog where I've talked about it, and there's a few cover shots of some of the comics. But as, as I recall, the Trigon Empire, although it was set on, it was set, set off-world, sorry, and not on Earth, the, the artist had obviously taken cues from a lot of Earth history, because I remember... Depending on where you were in the Trigon Empire, the different cultures strongly resembled Earth ones, including, I'm guessing, the Aztec culture. I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw step pyramids on, on another planet. Uh, I'm just finding my place now. Oh, okay.
one note of possible discord and if you read my blog you know this bothers me the <laughs> the lack of ethnic diversity in genre fiction, but I was going to mention that, well, I'll mention here that the actors playing Aztecs are wearing brown face, though in this instance I'm assuming that it would have been difficult to source sufficient Mexican Aboriginal actors in England of the 1960s. Also, because I did not see any really hamming up ethnic stereotypes like <laughs> notoriously in my view Laurence Olivier's horrible horrible uh, Othello for instance and because the characters seem to be played with some deep sympathy and res quite a lot of respect I didn't really feel the need to call the beeb out on it, this time anyway. So that's one good thing. Also there are a few amusingly fumbled lines. And what's interesting is that they're not just by William Hartnell this time. He, he's usually the worst person for this constantly fumbling lines, but he fumbles very few. I, it's the rest of the cast that does. I also noticed a, a few of what they thought were probably off-camera sniggers by the cast, which was a bit naughty, but I, I found it amusing. And what I'm assuming is that there was only time or money for very few takes, but probably on a strict budget. As with Marco Polo before, the research into Aztec culture in the screenplay seemed really quite impeccable and thorough. And again, I did learn something. So, it, it was fulfilling its role in educating children. Although I'm a pretty old child, but there you are. What else? Ah, yeah. During the story, Ian Chesterton gets a chance to show off some pretty nifty martial arts. And I'm guessing it looked like judo to me. And that also included this kind of Vulcan-ish death grip thingy. And this was one whole year before Star Trek. Hmm. And on that note of Ian's martial prowess, look out for a particularly tense and dramatic final fight scene on top of a Aztec pyramid with some nicely painted backdrops. All in all, good pace in this story, and much less bloat. You can feel that the stories, that the, the series is gaining momentum, and the cast and the crew are getting more confident in churning these out. 
so that's it for Doctor Who and the Aztecs. I yeah, I would recommend that you try and watch that. It, it's a pretty good one. Although they all are, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So next, we'll talk a bit about, and how could we not, Game of Thrones episode 2 of the current season, which is season 4. And it is the Purple Wedding, of course, which has been all over the media. And given that I podcast on Sunday, and that I'm always a week behind Game of Thrones, the, the latest Game of Thrones episode, I think I'm fully justified in having some latitude for a couple of big spoilers. It's not as if I'm doing anything wrong, it's been in every single paper in the country. <laughs> you know, from the telegraph to the mirror. Everywhere. I think the only place I haven't heard anything about it is on normal, well, I was going to say terrestrial TV or digital TV or free sat satellite television. That's why I haven't really heard much about it. But everywhere else, every printed source of printed media, every online blog has been absolutely rife, has exploded with Game of Thrones news. So after the first episode, where we're eased back into the series, now we have this really, really dramatic episode. And a lot happens, but... And here comes a spoiler. Joffrey's dead. Included a woohoo for our American colleagues and a huzzah for us. So last season we had the red wedding and now we have the purple wedding. And speaking as someone who has had a rubbish real life wedding, I'm not surprised in the least. Not that weddings are a bit rubbish. But that Joffrey is dead. I mean, it's about time, isn't it? And, as usual, poor old Tyrion is the... He's the butt of all troubles in, in the... Uh, in this drama. You see, what happened is, there was a big... There's the big wedding ceremony for Joffrey and Marguerite, or Marjorie. Marjorie doesn't sound right. It sounds like, like the Lannister king is marrying Homer Simpson's wife. I, think, I, I prefer Marguerite. Sounds more regal. Not that she is regal, she's just nuts, but, but that's a, a, another matter. Yeah, so the, the wedding ceremony is underway, and... At the, well, the wedding ceremony has already taken place, actually, and this is the reception. And they're all seated at, seated at the high table, you know, the main family, Joffrey, his wife, and a few, Cersei, a few other people, and of course Tyr Uncle Tyrion, 
poor old Uncle Tyrion. And Joffrey, who's had a bit to drink, and is a nasty, nasty piece of work anyway, decides it's time to take the mick out of Tyrion. And he just constantly badgers the poor man. At one point, pouring wine over his head, and it's, it's horrendous. So, when it... And then, eventually, something happens, and Joffrey drops down dead, and Tyrion being such a victim, it does seem like... To Cersei, it does seem like it's his work that her son is now dead. And she goes crazy, or crazier than usual. Though less crazy than her, her dead son, of course. And screams for Tyrion to be taken away. I, I tell you, Lena Headey, who's playing Cersei, and who also played Ma in Dread 3D, another psycho, which is... Presumably why she's been picked to play uh, nutjob Cersei is very, very... She, she fills me with unease every time she, she lurches onto the screen. You think, what is she going to do next? She's, she's absolutely terrifying. So much so now that <laughs> every time I see the actress in the media... My stomach lurches in terror, so she really scares me. That the actress, as well as the characters that she plays. And I, I've got to say, I, I'm really, I look forward to every episode now, every week. It, it, they can't come fast enough. Which is what I suppose that the uh, studio was relying on and hoping for. And it must be paying dividends. I'm guessing all the actors now on Game of Thrones will, well, already a few, probably a few seasons back, never ever have to work again. God, they're lucky. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that. And... And, of course, it's on again... Tomorrow morning, I suppose. I don't know, is it a simultaneous transmission again? Well, we'll see. So, looking forward to seeing what will happen to Tyrion in the next episode. It can't be good, though. And the other thing is... We're also left with a slight doubt as to whether Tyrion is entirely innocent in the matter. There was something about Tyrion paying... I had to re-watch the episode, but I'm sure Tyrion paid someone off to do something or other, which all looks a bit suspicious. Let's hope he uh, lives to become Emperor, which is <laughs> what, what I'm hoping for. Because he's a lot less scary and, and more diplomatic than uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, and one last thing, please visit the blog, which is at roymatur.com slash blog, 
or just click on the blog link and email me, tweet me if you want to hear anything on the show or if you want to come on as a guest. It's always nice to have more than one person podcasting. You can also email me and the email is on my website but just for the sake of convenience I'll say it now. It's roy.matur, R-O-Y dot M-A-T-H-U-R at gmail.com So, look forward to hearing from you. Okay, and that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. So this was Rise Rocket Radio, episode 37, recorded on Sunday the 20th of April 2014. And the time at the end of the show is now 15.20. That's 3.20 in the afternoon. Thanks for listening. Bye.